0: Welcome to God Is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God Is Open, we're going to be talking about a theory of time called presentism. Presentism, all that exists is now. And presentism really conflicts with this idea that time is the fourth dimension. That you're it's like a movie. You're watching a movie on your computer, and you could take that little scroll slide bar and you could slide to any part of the movie and go rewatch that movie. No, time doesn't exist like that. You can't go back into the past. The past is not an object that you can go visit. Once the past is gone, it is done and gone away. With the future is the same way. The future is not an object, and the only thing that does currently exist is the current state of the universe as we know it. Presentism: all that exists is now, and this is the most common sense, straightforward philosophy of time. It's what we experience. No one's able to time travel back and change the past, right? You can't, you can't change, you can't change the past. So, uh, if you want to watch a particular television program, say, with like all my children or something, you, know, you, you, you go to the charge nurse and just tell the day, the time, the show you want to see is on, but you have to tell them before the show is scheduled to be on. There's this guy, and he was always requesting shows that are already played. Yes. No. You have to tell her before. He couldn't quite grasp the idea that the charge nurse couldn't make it be yesterday. He couldn't turn back time. Thank you, Einstein. Now, he, he was nuts. He was a fruitcake, okay, Jim. That's he, it, Jeffrey. to get a shot. All right, some stellar acting by Brad Pitt. I think it's actually one of his better acting roles where he plays a crazy guy. Uh, animal rights activists, and uh, it works within the plot. The time travel itself works within the plot of 12 Monkeys, and that's because 12 Monkeys is going by a theory of time in which everything that ever happens is fated to happen, and you can't go back and change it. There's some premonitions in the main character, James Cole, of him watching a guy get shot, and it turns out, spoiler alert, that it's him. It's him in the future. He, as a kid, watches himself get killed, Uh, in the future as an older man who had traveled back in time. And so the whole concept is that there's this never ending loop and it's fixed. It's, it's a, it's set, nothing can change it. And so it works in that sense. So your two options for your theories of time is either everything is faded or, or presentism. All that exists is now. And let's think about that real quick. And that's true because if the object was a place that we could visit with actual objects that actually exist, then you could change the past. You would be able to interact with those objects rather than something being in the intellectual realm, something just being a memory, a recording, a capturing of what something was previously, like a video recording of a robbery or a video recording of a, of a childhood event that you have. That's a record of the past. It's showing you what happened in the past. It's an, it is not itself the past. And that, that, that's a critical distinction. So does the past exist in the terms of God's memory and, and how God uh, interacts with the world and that he records the events as they happen? It could exist in that fashion, but not as actual objects that someone could go and interact with and change. So presentism, the idea that all there is, is now. The past are not objects you can't visit it they're not things the future are not objects you can't visit it they're not things all that exists is currently what we experience and a good illustration of this uh, in in the world realm of anime i got this pulled up this uh, lane lane comic and i don't think you could find this comic anymore online I, I tried looking i got it way back in in college when i was watching the lane anime series the anime series itself it, it's very niche, it's very it's very highbrow type of concepts, and it's a confusing mess, it is. But they do promote an idea of presentism, not as strong in the actual TV show as in this comic, but we're going to be looking at this comic here. So this comic starts out with Lane, and she's in her bedroom, and she has this uh, little dog creature. It's a stuffed animal, and she calls it Bike Chan. I think that's a thing where, where in Japan, everything gets added on Chan at the end. I don't know, something like that. It's, it's, it's fairly common what I see, but she's got this little stuffed animal and it breaks and she tries to put some sort of device in it to make it like a talking walking dog. You can see it's wiggling. It's going wow, bow. And she wants to give it AI. She wants to give it artificial intelligence so that it could talk to her but all of a sudden it explodes here in her hands and uh, you see her face and she screams out bike chan that's the name of her animal and uh, she's sitting there crying and she says she hears this voice it says lane are you sad because you you broke your doll yes i am do you want it back can you do that yes i can and so there's this creature that uh, emerges and he is some sort of uh, godlike figure within in this world that he can change the way things are but he points this out things which break can't come back the dead cannot be brought back to life those are the rules of this world that i don't have to follow i speak to a higher authority are you a god you could call me that if you wish to now give me your hand and so she she, the the creature hands her another doll one that looks just like her bike chan and, and she's realizing something's off. He says, from now on, that is the only one. We can secretly dispose of the broken one. No one will know about the one you killed. If no one knows, it can be the same as if it never happened at all. No, you're wrong. There's only one, Bike Chan. A substitute isn't the same as bringing him back to life. It's okay to break the rules. But if you have your doll again, your doll will be back. Liar. I know I'll still have the memory then we'll rewrite your memory too. If you don't remember, that will make it real. Look, don't look so afraid, Lane. You've done this many times. And so he's, he's bringing up to her, he gave her a replacement doll, and she says, it's not gonna be the same. He says, it is gonna be the same. We'll just rewrite your memories, and if your memories are changed, then you'll never know that it was a different one than the one you experienced in the past. If there's no functional difference, it's the same one. And and she can't accept this. She's got this emotional reaction. You see these these no's, like oh no, how can you prove me wrong? All you are is what you are aware of. It's all lies. I've had this bike champ since I was born forever. Is that so? It doesn't look that old to me. So what's he saying here? He's saying not that not that this is a new bike champ per se, but that she her memories of growing up might be implanted memories. She might actually not have actually existed that long. She only thinks that she grew up in real time because because she has the memories, and memories can be fake. He says, Maybe you've killed the doll before or weren't born so long ago as you think. No, stop. Where's the birth record? Who knows when you were born? Who has a single memory of you? Where's your father? Where are the people who think about you? Where are your friends? And she screams out, No, stop it i'm me i myself this is the only reality a memory is just a record thoughts and feelings restrict operation where your thoughts end and reality begins is a very thin line lane everyone can overcome that barrier even if you forget we had this talk you'll know as long as i create the world as i want it to be you and i are and then she wakes up she says oh just a dream and then she looks down, she sees she's got her bike chan, and, uh, but she, she nudges something with her foot, and it's a bell that was on her previous bike chan, and it signals to us, the audience, that, that the things in her dream actually did take place, uh, but she just can't remember it. She sees this bell, and there's an internal monologue, and she says, A broken bell. I couldn't figure out why I was there. I remembered a terrifying dream, but none of the details. I didn't want to think about it, so I buried it under the swings in the backyard. No one will ever know. If no one knows, it can be the same as if it never happened at all. So I'm secretly rewriting my memories. I have buried that scary dream because it never happened. All right, so that highlights some primal fears in human beings. That what would happen if presentism is real? And you'll hear these objections. People say, oh, presentism can't be real because... Uh, then if the past is gone and no one remembers it, it's like the past never happened. <laughs> yeah, that is true. It was when I was at the randomness conference, I was actually talking to a guy about this, and I said, yeah, yeah, what if presentism is true? And he, he he thought that the past became solid and fixed as time progressed, and God had to have all memories of all past events. God must have all memories of all past events, because if God did not have a memory of a past events, it would be as if that event never happened. And that was his objection to God not knowing something in the past. It's, that, that's a real objection. And it's an emotional objection. He says, I, I can't accept a reality in which if everyone forgot about an event, it's the same thing as if the event doesn't exist. But, but that's how we function. That's how we function. There's been so many people who've lived in this world and not left a single mark. We can't go back and and re-find out who every single person was who's ever exist, unless unless there's some sort of record somewhere. Maybe maybe it's God's mind. Maybe God is actively recording everything in some fashion in order to resurrect uh, human beings. Yeah, that could be the case. That could be the case. But but presentism says that that doesn't have to be that the past does not have to exist the past doesn't exist and it doesn't exist as objects that you can manipulate your other alternative is the past is set in stone Uh, how what It, it must be objects and if you if it's set in stone you could go back and manipulate the past and then it affects the future but then you have that weird thing where where the the effect is preceding the cause creating these time travel paradoxes that we've already talked about in these these different, uh, these different podcasts. I'm going to highlight one one movie that we, we skipped over. It's just a silly movie. It's called Star Trek Four. So if you like Star Trek, I think out of all the Star Treks, this is the absolute worst one. I know people really hate the one that William Shatner directed. I think it's number five. But number four, here's the plot of it. Uh, they, there's an alien who comes to Earth a massive technology—it's threatening the destruction of Earth—and they have to go find a humpback whale, a humpback whale to communicate with this alien to send the alien on its way. And there's none that exist because they're all extinct because human beings are real bad and the oceans were trashed and and oh, they're they're hunted to extinction, you know, man hunted humpback whales to extinction. And now this super powerful race is going to destroy all of Earth unless they hear a humpback whale—an actual what so that's, that's seriously the plot. And uh, they're like, okay, how about we just time travel? And that was like their first solution. And everyone's like, they nod their heads. We'll play the scene. We'll play the scene. Been extinct since the 21st century. It is possible that an alien intelligence sent the probe to determine why they lost contact. My God. Spot, could the humpbacks answer to this call? The sounds, but not the language. We would be responding in gibberish. Does the species exist on any other planet? Negative. Humpbacks were indigenous to Earth. Earth of the past. Well... I have no choice. I must destroy the probe before it destroys Earth. To attempt to do so would be futile, Admiral. The probe could render us neutral easily. I can't just turn away. There must be an alternative. There is one possibility, but of course I cannot guarantee success. We could attempt to find some humpback whales. You just said there aren't any, except on Earth of the past. Yes, Dodger. That is exactly what I said. Well, in that case... Now wait just a damn minute. Spock. Start your computations for time warp. Bones, you come with me. Uh, the the writing the writing of this movie is absolutely terrible. So there there has to be this advanced species that the only possible way uh, to defeat it is to go back in time to get a humpback whale who's extinct because of man's activities, and they're like, it's just ludicrous. And every he's there, he's just like, let's go time travel, and everyone's like, what? Okay, we'll do it. Like like any Joe Schmo can just time travel back to the past, and as if. You know, the entire present would just be flooded, flooded with future time travelers if that was the case, that people could just do that. And one scene in this, one scene then is this, he takes his glasses, and his glasses were a present from his doctor, and they pawn them off in modern, or in 1980s America. They pawn off the glasses for 100 bucks in order to uh, you know, have some spending cash. But they were an ancient pair that McCoy had bought for the captain. And the idea was, oh, I'm going to sell them to this pawn shop and then later on they're going to get to where McCoy is and McCoy is going to buy them and give them to the captain Uh, just to go back in time, just to get to that pawn shop again and continue that loop. So these are eternal glasses that are just looping through time for all eternity. What's the age of the glasses? Infinite, infinite uh, lifespan of these glasses. But that paradox is not explored. This is this is real bad writing. They don't understand uh, the time travel, the, the the weird stuff that they're getting into. And it's, it's just a propaganda piece for save the whales, save the whales. There's one scene where it's like, like this lady, she's in this whale museum and she's like, oh, the whales have no predators except for one. And then, and then the captains there, uh, captain uh, William Shatner. And he's like, man, I'll, I'll like, Oh, she's like, very good. Very, you got it. it. It was man. Oh, it's just a cringeworthy movie. It's it's hard to watch. Hard to watch. But the time travel doesn't work. You, you get these infinite loop paradoxes uh, where these objects that exist infinite amount of times, such as the glasses, and uh, they bring back technology into the past and they get a guy to design a holding tank for these whales with uh, one-inch-thick walls, and they give them the technology, and so they're they're spawning technology into existence from the future by having the technology bringing it to the past and then relooping it. It's it's the time travel paradox. Where did it ever originate? it it never originated anywhere. This is just infinite unoriginated knowledge that's introduced into the time continuum. And the movie that I talked about in the movie podcast, the, the predestination movie, it does this. Or there's a woman who self-generates into the world through one of these time travel paradoxes. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's not a good movie. It's terrible writing on all sorts of fronts. It makes no sense scientifically. The new, the new Star Trek series, it does make sense. They're time travel because you're time traveling back into an alternate universe. So you're not affecting the time frame the, the continuum of the place you're time traveling back from. In that sense, that's almost the same thing as presentism being true. So presentism. Presentism, because it's the way that we function, that we operate, that's our, it's our normal understanding about how the world works. If we break a toy, we're never going to get that toy back. It's going to be always broken. You're going to have to repair it. You're going to have to try to manip- manipulate the present in some way to restore what you once had, what you, what you once lost. You can't go back and, and undo the past. The past is not a thing to manipulate. The the past exists in memories. So looking at the Bible, that's the perspective that the Bible is written in. It's not written in this sci- sci-fi type of, of quantum understanding of the, these multiple universes or or that time travel, God's going in the past and changing things. It's not even written in a fatalistic sense, that the, the future is set and it's going to happen and no matter what. Instead, you've got a lot of changes to the future, like years are added to people's lives, right? The future is changed. God resolves to destroy a people and then repents of doing so. He says, I won't do to you what I thought I would do or what I said I would do. And we see that play out time and time again throughout the Bible. Uh, Jonah, of course, is the, is the most famous story of this happening. But I would like to highlight this instance here in Genesis that really speaks to presentism. And it says this, and this is after the flood, the flood subsides, and God says to Noah, builds a no, no, noetic covenant, and says this, This is the sign of the covenant I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. So he promises, he promises Noah that He's not going to destroy the world ever again. Some people will say, oh, he's never going to destroy it again with fire. That's not what it says here. That's not what it says. Well, it doesn't say it in chapter eight. Chapter eight's a, a different promise. He says, I will never again strike down every living creature as I have done. And nine is just feeding off that same principle, but pointing out the water because water is what he used to destroy the world in the first place. So the promise is he'll never again destroy the earth. He's never again going to kill all of mankind. He has resolved to live with man and deal with mankind from now on. That's God's change of mind. But he sets up a reminder for himself. And does a timeless God set up reminders for themselves? Do they say, in the future, I'm going to see this and it's going to remind me of the past? No, that doesn't happen if you know the future exhaustively or if you're outside of time. You don't need reminders in the sky. You don't need symbols. It's not saying... You will remember. It's not saying you people will remember the covenant when you see this. It's I will remember this covenant. (laughs) God's setting up reminders for himself. And some people don't like, even open theists don't like this idea because open theists, a lot of times, they want the biblical God to be one with all thoughts are forever at the forefront of God's mind. There's no reminding God of stuff. He he processes everything instantaneously at the forefront of his mind. All thoughts are one in front of his eyes in the same instant. And if you listen to that Dwezel podcast that we responded to, his sermon, he, he makes that point. That That's the idea of omniscience that they're really going for. This present, eternal, simple act of knowledge uh, always at the forefront of God's mind. And it's not, not this, not what we find in the Bible, where where something happens and the report is given to God. The outcry comes to God. You know, as in Exodus, Exodus, uh, when, when uh, Israel is crying out to God and the reports come to God. In Sodom and Gomorrah, the reports come to God. In Jonah, the outcry comes to God. It's, it's this, this transfer of information that's not allowed, not allowed in negative theology. So is God outside of time? If you throw that into a little Google bar, Uh, there's a bunch of different links that come up. And I was surprised, I was surprised that the first one is from Bob Enyart. And Bob Enyart, of course, is an open theist. And he's arguing in the negative, no, God is not outside of time. And he deals with a lot of common proof texts. But let's go to a critical article, something that that argues that, yes, he is outside of time. And uh, let's look at this uh, first statement here. God dwells in a different dimension, a spirit realm. Yeah, the perception of our physical senses. So in the Bible, you have a lot of people being brought to heaven and they're being brought to heaven in the body. And Paul, he says, I, I knew a fellow and, I, and he w- visited the third heaven. I don't know if it was he spiritually did it or in the body because Paul, he wasn't a Platonist like these guys are who think that the spirit realm is distinct qu- from the physical where, where the physical beings cannot enter the spiritual realm. But throughout the Bible, it happens all the time. People are physically transported, physically transported into the spiritual realm. It happens throughout the Bible. So the, the where, where these people are getting that the spirit realm is uh, dialectically opposed to the material realm, that's Platonism. It's not the Bible. The Bible has people visiting the spirit realm. So let's read this again. God dwells in a different dimension, the spirit realm beyond the perception of our physical senses. It's not that God isn't real. It's a matter of his not being limited to the physical laws and dimensions that govern our world. Uh, the good thing about these uh, articles is they put a little link to their proof text. And their proof text is... Isaiah 57:15, and they're using the ESV. And I like the ESV. I use the ESV for the Old Testament. I use the New King James for the New Testament. But here's what the ESV says. This is their proof text that God is not bounded by the physical parts of the world, which includes time, apparently. In their mind, time is a dimension like space, length, width, rather than just, just a means for us to conceptualize events in relation to each other. That's what time actually is. It's it's a way to measure measure relationship between events. Isaiah fifty-seven, fifteen. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. See they say, look, inhabits eternity. That's some fancy language. That must definitely, definitely mean all my ideas. My ideas that, that God is outside space, time and the spirit realm is is totally unique from physical people can't dwell in the f- spiritual realm. That's their idea. They, they think this little phrase, he who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. <laughs> and also with him who is contrite and lowly spirit to receive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's their proof text. That's their proof text. They're not even trying. They're desperate. They're desperate. They're desperate. Knowing that God is a spirit, and this is them again, knowing that God is a spirit, Remember in the Bible, people visit the spiritual realms. The Bible actually opens with the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Spirit has dimensions. It's it's in the physical world within Genesis 1. People, when, when, they, when they approach the Bible, it, it, they're not using biblical categories. They impose on the, them these modern categories that they got for Platonism, because they're not in the bible you can't you can't uh, take these categories and define them out of the bible listen to michael heiser he talks all about the spiritual realm and the different events in which people are brought to the spiritual realm in the body throughout the bible and he has a less a less what is it What, what kind of word are we going to go with here mystical he's less mystical than these people who want want platonic omniscience and ascensions to the spiritual realm the Bible's not like that. It's not written like that. The ancient Hebrews, the ancient Jews, the Israelites, they didn't think like this. They didn't think in these categories. In Psalms 94, Moses uses a simple yet profound analogy in describing the timelessness of God. For a thousand years in your sight, or like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. <laughs> uh, read the context. Read the context. This is talking about God's eternity how, how much time God experiences. And mankind, we just wither and die. We, are we, we live maybe a hundred years, if even, and God lives forever and ever. And so, yeah, yeah. When when you're a hundred years old, your year's going to move a lot faster than when you're one year old. And when you are a being that that is eternal and lives forever, this is exactly a relevant statement to attribute to you. Not that Not that he's timeless, that he's outside of time. That's not the concept. That's not the concept. Read the verse. Read the verse. The verse is literally about God experiencing time. That's literally what the verse is about. And they say, no, it's not about that. It's about God's timelessness. You're desperate. You're desperate. This is evidence against your view. This is evidence that says you're just making stuff up. God experiences time. Your own proof text. Read your proof text. Just look at it. I read it. It says a thousand years in your sight. So he watches a thousand years are, but as yesterday when it is past. So this is about experiencing time. This verse is literally built around the concept of God experiencing time. If it was timelessness, that'd be an entire different analogy. That'd be an entirely different point being made. Let's try to click into it so that we can't get more context. Genesis 90. I'll probably have to jump into my eSword software real quick here. And track it down. Psalms ninety. And I think we've dealt with this on the podcast before. At least at least we have on on our, our webpage, God is open. You sweep them away. <laughs> <A> thousand <laughs> Okay, so this is about God and his relation to mankind and God's uh, God's superiority. And I, I actually do. I think I cover this psalm in my book, God is open. This is a prayer of Moses. He says, before the mountains were brought forth or have ever had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God existed before these things. Not that God's timeless. God existed well into the past. Timeless in the sense that everlastingness, from everlasting to everlasting, experiencing time. It's all about experiencing time. You return Man to dust and say, Return, O children of men. There's the contrast being built in this verse between God and man. Man lives and dies, withers away, God does not. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past. This is in context of God and man, God's comparison to man. You sweep them away with a flood like they are a dream, like grass is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before. Does this sound like Moses thinks that God is timeless? Does any of this sound like it? Oh, man. This is, this is just another another piece of evidence of this desperateness. This desperateness of people who really, they cross their fingers. They're like, I, I really need a proof text for timelessness. Where can I get one? Psalms 90. So this, this def, there's this one little phrase, two words together, and that means all my things that I want. They just ignore the context, ignore what it's about, ignore, ignore that the context and even the phrases in my own proof text uh, ca- contradict my ideas. No, this is poetically making the point that I I believe is the best thing to believe. Coincidentally, Coincidentally, what they want to believe is also found in the Bible. Great, great. All right, we'll do one more. We'll do one more. Maybe maybe I'm getting a little excited here and uh, making fun of these guys too much. Revelation eight, i I'm the Alpha and Omega. Remember, this is a callback to Isaiah. I am the first and the last, and you see that throughout Isaiah. And uh, Revelation has a lot of callbacks, a lot of, a lot of references to previous apocalyptic texts. So I'm the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and Omega. Does that mean he's outside of time? Oh, they say, oh, he is, he is the alpha, alpha and omega. Well, yeah, I could be the end and the beginning for my kids if if I spawn them into the world and I take them out of the world. I could be the beginning of the end. So, in what way is he the alpha and omega? Maybe, maybe we should let context, context uh, rule our interpretation of phrases rather than just importing theology onto it. I'm the Alpha and Omega," says the Lord, "Who is and was and who is to come." Wow, that sounds like presentism. That sounds like uh, that the future is not set, that the future is not an object, and that uh, God is in time and experiences time. That really sounds like that to me. And uh, but but I think I think contextually this is making a different point, point. and I think this is about power and not about. God's uh, always existing. And Revelation is all about God's power. God's going to come back. He's going to judge the world. He's going to set things right. He's going to use his power to to shape the world into what he wants. And that's the context of being who was and is and is to come. And if you don't think that's true, there's, there's an alternative phrase, Revelation 17.8. And this is about the beast. And it says this, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottle's pit and go to destruction so what this is saying it's it's very similar language to was and is and is to come the beast you saw was and is not and is to come and i think there's at least two references using the same parallel language and what this is talking about is is his control of power how much power does he have he used to have power he currently is deposed of power, and he's going to rise and gain more power? That's what it sounds like to me. It's not about timelessness. It's not about being in time. This is a power statement. So uh, right there, we just hit a couple of the major timelessness proof texts, and none of, none of the context uh, remotely suggests timelessness. They all suggest that God's in time. They all ex- suggest that he experiences time. And you just have to be—you just have to— just have no regard for the text to, to impose on to that timelessness. All right, I have to jump back in and add a little bit to this video because I forgot one important point. One important point. People say that God has to be outside of time because if God was in time, then past would stretch to infinity. And they'd say, what was God doing for all that And How could God exist forever into the past? It doesn't make sense conceptually. Well, presentism, I guess, solves that issue. God has always existed. It's always been the present. The past is not a thing. So God exists, and he always has existed. You don't have to talk about an infinite past. Infinite past is not a thing. That's a concept. That's that's a category that they're interjecting into the debate. And we don't have to accept that category. We don't have to explain how infinite time into the past exists or infinite time into the future exists you don't have to do it with presentism because the past and future are not things all that exists is now so if you want to get a leg up on someone uh, shut down their arguments uh, stun them they won't know how to respond uh, they've never considered presentism as a solution to the their their little logical problems of god existing infinite time into the past but presentism does that it gives us a workable framework with which we could approach the Bible reality. Just just makes sense of our world. It does, and it and it counters all the all the gotcha questions that the atheists have. Presentism, then back to presentism. All that exists is now. The past is not a thing. You can't go back and change the past. You can't manipulate it and, and change events that did happen around. All that exists is now. The past is just a memory. The future is just a hope. And yeah, we could talk in normal speech like, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Yeah, I can know the future. I can know the past. I know what I did last Saturday. You could talk like that, and you can know things about the future and past. But it's not like those things are objects that exist, that, that uh, an intrepid explorer of time can jump in a spaceship and travel back and, and save the whales, all those humpback whales that were extinct by, oh, those... Those terrible whalers! I forgot in that movie. There's this very cringeworthy scene where they release the whales. They're trying to get the whales from, uh, like a Sea World type place. Uh, but the researchers they release the whales into the wild, and right away, almost, almost instantly, there's a whaler ship that's on them. Like, <laughs> like what? What? That's bad writing right there. Bad writing. But. Uh, an intrepid explorer from the future is not going to fly back there, clean on uh, time travel spaceship in order to save the whales. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work like that. You get into those time loop paradoxes. It doesn't make sense. It's not functional. And, and the only way that you could salvage that is fatalism. Fatalism. The Bible not fatalistic. The ba- Bible doesn't think time's manipulatable. The Bible is written as if we live in presentism. That what we do today can change the world around us. We have thoughts and desires. We have volition. We can do things. We can't change the past, though. We can't change the past. That was uh, quick and dirty about presentism, a little bit of media, pop culture thrown in there. So if you have any questions, comments on this podcast, send that to God is open, questions at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm not afraid of